Get Out is more than just a horror film. It's a really great commentary on just our world right now with race and everything and told it in such like a great way in such an entertaining way. Um, and I just kind of sparked the idea for me where I was like, I like, I feel like this is a, such a smart way that he did this. Like I could probably do this when it comes to like, I, I mean, you can do it with any culture, but with the Indian culture and or the arranged marriage thing, I was like, this is like pretty much perfect. There's like a deeper meaning behind all of this. Like it's, it's how you were raised, what you were taught, what you were conditioned to believe. This is the Desi Condition. Hello, hello. What's up, Bondus? This is Tanushree from the Desi Condition. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Desi Condition. Today, we're talking to Anisha Sawan for the second time. I'm super, super excited for this conversation. Me too. <laughs> Thanks for having me back. It was really fun the last time I was here. Um, I didn't get to talk to you on it the last time, but we had a really great conversation with Tanushree. That was two years ago, which is insane. I know. I'm excited to have you back to talk about the new film. So Anisha, tell us a little bit about who you are, what is new and exciting in the world of Anisha. Yeah, I so uh, the last two years, I released two more short films. Like the last time I was on this podcast, I was talking about my first ever narrative short film that I wrote and directed um, called He Comes From a Good Family that was centered around Indian arranged marriages. And uh, it was like a horror film about a, a cult. Um, and it was funny as well. There were comedic things about it. Um, and then last year, I came out with another um, narrative short called Ghost Me, uh, which was a little, it was, it was also a horror and it was more of a social commentary on modern dating and the concept of ghosting. And just kind of, I had a little bit of fun with like, the term ghosting and how that can be used even like in a literal sense. And also, so I feel like that one also was pretty funny. Um, but my most recent film is called, uh, I'll never be alive again, which is also a horror slash sci-fi. Um, and very, very different from the, the first two. It was, uh, uh, it's definitely leans more towards drama and it's a more of a heavy film centered around like grief and loss. Um, and yeah, and it's, it's 10 minutes longer. My first two films were each 10 minutes and this one is 20 minutes. So um, very, very different uh, than anything I've ever done before. So yeah. Yeah, it really gets you so like emotionally involved in it. And actually, like one quick note about the last episode we had with you is all about he comes from a good family, which the title itself is kind of hilarious already. <laughs> I'm like, oh God, I hear that on a regular basis. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure I heard that like last night from my dad about a guy. Um, yeah, it was like, it had like the kind of this like humor side of it, but it was also like, it was scary. Like it made me see arranged marriage in a slightly different light and acknowledge it for how weird like weirdly cultish it kind of is so anyway and not to talk too much about he comes from a good family i'm looking forward to i'll never be alive again uh go ahead Anu, get us started yeah so i am super super excited to dive into just the content of i'll never be alive again um we spoke about this a little bit more in depth when we chatted earlier in the week anisha but um let's talk about what the story is that you're trying to tell with this short yeah, so the story is just the really quick like logline of it is it's about a cured zombie living in seclusion. So she lives in a world where it's a post-apocalyptic world. So it's after the zombie apocalypse has been cured and fixed. So all of the zombies that, you know, technically died and were zombies, they found a cure for them and they're kind of going through this medication process of being brought back to life and being normal humans again. So it centers around one of the, the survivors of that. Um, her name is Sadia and she is a woman that's living alone in her apartment and she's lost everything. Um, and you, as the film progresses, you kind of learn more about her past and what she actually went through and some of the stuff 
stuff she actually lost and what she's grappling with. Uh, so yeah, so it's really just a story about uh, loss, like loss of a, a previous life that you, she used to have, and then um, and just finding, trying to find the will to live because it's a film about her being physically being brought back to life, but struggling to find the will to live again. So. So I think that it can kind of play on the the idea of like, you know, you've gone through so much, you're going, you, you remember like what you used to have and then you lost everything and then you're just trying to pick up the pieces again. And I think that's something that so many of us felt the last two years over quarantine. So, um, so yeah. Yeah, of course. Can you tell us a little bit about, about the title? How'd you settle on that? I'm curious about that. Yeah, I, so originally... I always have like working titles for things. And then I don't really like, I feel like the title is always something that comes so later for me. Um, I just kind of put like this little working title and then just like see what happens. But it was always called feast because the film is a, like, it is a kind of a body horror. There's a lot of blood and gross stuff. Cause she's a zombie obviously. So she's eating, you know, raw meats and there's a lot of blood and stuff. And so like, um, so, so like, there's a scene it's like centered around just like a feast of like meat on the table. So that visual was very strong for me, like while, while I was writing it. So I just was calling it feast for the longest time. But then um, and then but then while as I was writing one of my favorite lines that I wrote, which was towards the end is when she says, I'll never be alive again. And I just thought that was such like a powerful thing and kind of encapsulates the feeling of the film so much because she really does feel like she'll never be, she'll never have the life that she used to have again uh, because of the loss and the grief that she's dealing with. So I think it kind of like plays in that I'll never be alive again, literally because she's a zombie, but then also like never going to have the life that she used to have. So it's beautiful. Thanks. So can I ask you why the allegory of flesh eating? Um, I think that like, so I don't think it's necessarily like the flesh eating. I don't think I consciously thought of as being an allegory for something. I think it's more of like the bigger concept of her being a zombie, right? Where she just literally just feels like she's a shell of what she once was. And I think that that came from how I felt in quarantine where I I've, and I've said this before, like in another interview where I said, I was like, I, I felt like a zombie in my apartment. And what I, what I mean by that is that like, when you're in, when you're, first of all, when you're by yourself for a really long period of time and you're not really seeking out friendships or you're kind of just secluded from people and you're just physically by yourself, but then also mentally, you're not like connecting with anybody. You can kind of feel like I don't even feel like a person because I'm not around people. And then um, I, I, like, I had some of like in 2021, it was interesting in 2021. That was the year that I had like some of the worst depression I've ever had. And I've had like, I've struggled with mental illness, like since I was a kid, like mental illness in the sense that I've had, um, I've had really bad anxieties ever since I was a little kid and uh, depression on and off. I, I would have like depression spells a lot, but this was like on another level of anything of, of that nature where I was like, I felt um, I was always just so lethargic and tired all the time. I felt like I had no like, I had like, I didn't want to do anything, like all the desires of like what I used to want to do. I had no desire to do any of that. And I just felt like just like a shell of a person just existing. I just felt like I was existing at that point. And like, just a lot of like trying to distract myself with things. I would just like be scrolling on TikTok for like ever. Like now I can't like, I'll have to take the, the app off my phone because of like how addictive that, that app is. But um, the nature of TikTok is like, it's so addictive because they're like literally like 10 second videos you just keep watching. And like the nature of that is like, you can get so lost in whatever it is you're looking at that after you've like done like 30 minutes of like straight scrolling, you look up from your phone and you feel like you've disassociated from your body. <laughs> like it feels like, it feels like you're not even like a person. Like, I'm just like, wait, where am I again? Like, am I, am I a person? Like, what's my name? Like, how old am I? Like, I don't know. Like, like you literally just like, you disassociate. So like, I think that like that concept of being a zombie where it's like, 
the, I think that the, the idea always really fascinated me where it's like a zombie is a dead person, but can still walk around. Like it's still kind of existing in a physical place, but their mind's not there anymore. Um, and so she, because she technically died and then is being brought back to life with this medication, she was like, but am I still alive? Like, am I like, I don't know if I really am because I already technically died. So, um, so I think that it was more just like, the allegory is more just the zombie concept as a whole, rather than um, rather than the flesh eating. Flesh eating is really just like the component of what it is to be a zombie. Yeah. But honestly, like anybody can can take away whatever they want from it. You know what I mean? So yeah, got it. So it feels yeah. So it feels like the flesh eating really is just like a symptom of being a zombie because that all fits with the whole like living in COVID mental health pandemic and et cetera. But then you do actually end up using it as a plot tool to describe her backstory and like things that she is dealing with. So can you talk about some of the themes that uh, she deals with as a result of her flesh eating? Yeah, well, so along with the grief and the loss that she experienced and also just like the, the seclusion that she's experiencing, like the immense loneliness and self-isolation that she's dealing with. She's also dealing with guilt, right? Where like, um, there's an element of the story that I'm not going to give away, but she is, she was a zombie, right? Like, and we all know what zombies do. Zombies attack and they, you know, they, they kill and they don't know what they're doing. Um, and so, um, and so I, I imagine that there are a lot of zombies in her position right now that are like grappling with the guilt of what they did as a zombie. And so, um, so she's dealing with the guilt and that kind of ties in with the, um, kind of like her trying to find the will to live. Like it's hard to find the will to live when you're feeling really guilty and you feel like you don't deserve it. And so I think that was where that kind of came from. So like, it's, it's more just like, um, it all kind of like comes to a head at the end because you kind of, at the very end, you, everything is kind of revealed and you know like what happened in her past. And it, it came to that point of her, just being who she was, which is, you know, a zombie. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that like, how eloquently I answer that question. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it totally answers the question. My next question follow up from that is, how do you see that guilt translating back into these last two years of COVID mental health? Yeah, I personally like, I don't know about you guys. And I feel like I feel like there must have been people that felt this way. Like, I was really lucky, right? When, when when pandemic hit, I have a place that I can work from home from. I have like a safe apartment. I can work from home. I can do my entire job at home. I, I'm not like I wasn't, I never got, I, I've yet to get COVID. I don't know if that's going to change, knock on wood, but I have never gotten sick. All my family members were really safe at the time and i was like you know in april 2020 when you would turn on the news in new york and see like just the insane numbers that we were seeing at that time um and knowing how much people were suffering and my parents both lab technologists like they were they would have to go to the the hospital every day to work still um and sometimes overtime because it was just hard for people to get to work and um and they would actually be like testing people positive like they would they were they were the ones that would have the specimen and see all the numbers and so i would talk to my parents and you know my parents are like you know in their 60s and i'm like they have to go to work every day and there was a point in time where like my mom saw like a truck full of bodies outside of the hospital. And that was when I was like, this, there's like, this is like horrible. And I, so to kind of go back to the guilt thing, you see all this horrible stuff happening on the outside while you feel really comfortable and you're safe and you're secure, but then you, but like dealing with depression and anxiety and feeling like, like just like, feeling bad you're you felt guilty for feeling that way i'm like oh why can't i just be grateful that i'm like in a good spot and i'm whatever i just kept feeling guilt i was like oh my god i like i feel depressed but i shouldn't feel depressed like like i should just feel grateful and so i think that's kind of where um where it came from for me where i was like oh why does this person have to deal with something terrible but not me you know so yeah i think that 
for me, while I was watching the short, I definitely felt the themes of grief and guilt. They were probably the most profound themes that I picked up on. Um, again, I don't want to talk about like the actual content of the film, but I feel like it like it comes from somewhere really, really deep. And we'll talk about this later about like your creative influences and whatnot. But I just wanted to shout out that um, your film just does this beautifully. Oh, thank you. I'm really glad it resonated. Yeah, that means a lot. I think some of the some of the next themes, losing a family to illness and also like struggling to like forgive yourself or some of the some of the major themes. Can you can you share a little bit about that? Um, so with like forgiving myself, I think I like I feel like I, I have always kind of struggled with this thing of like feeling like I don't deserve things. That's always like been like a default uh imposter mind. syndrome. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes, that's it. The imposter syndrome thing. Um where like I can't I don't know how deep you want me to go. I'm not going to go too deep. But like, honestly, like I struggle sometimes with like finding peace in my life because anytime I feel peace, I immediately that gets followed up with this anxiety of like, oh my God, like this is going to go away because like I somehow don't deserve it or something like that. Um, and uh, I've worked through this kind of mindset a lot with my therapist. Um, I started going to therapy like in 2021, like pretty extensively, which really helped. Um, and it helped me figure out some of this like weird way of thinking that I had. And I actually, I have OCD, which I've kind of like gotten better at, but it was always like this thing of like, oh, like I don't deserve this one thing. Or like if I somehow maybe hurt someone's feelings, I would feel really guilty about it. And I'd have a really hard time being like, Anisha, you're a good person. Like, it's okay. Like, just like, you know, you make mistakes, you're human. It's all right. And I would have such a hard time, like really being like, just forgive yourself, Anisha, like you're good, like just move on. And so I think that that, and I don't think I was like consciously thinking of that when I was writing it, obviously, like it came from a sub subconscious place. So I think it's really interesting that it kind of came out that way, where one of the main things was about her forgiving herself. And that is a, a, a huge thing that I've like had to struggle with. Um, you know, so so yeah, I think that's where it came from. I didn't realize that you have OCD. That actually really, really puts things into perspective. I don't know if you did this intentionally, but I can see that. I mean, they, they think of OCD as kind of like the doubting disease, right? Where you're yeah. constantly doubting whether XYZ thing, whether mm -hmm. you even like, you know, whether you lock the door, you constantly, you have to go check a million times. And that that's a very like, yeah, I guess like a media example of it. But that's just one example. Um, anyway, they call OCD the doubting disease there's like these compulsions, right? There's these obsessions. We have an episode coming up on this soon, actually. So I've been learning about it a little bit. <laughs> um, and you can see that in this character, Sadia, where she's constantly over... Not that she shouldn't be overthinking. I mean, this is an awful thing that happened, right? This is a huge thing that happened to her. But yeah. you can see her having these compulsions and these obsessions and trying yeah. to figure out how to deal with it. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. Like ha having that context, it not changes, but it, it, it sheds more of a light onto what she's probably feeling and thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. That's really like, that's, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that that, that resonated. Um, I think that she, you can kind of see just in the film, even if people are not familiar with how OCD works and obsessive thoughts work, it's like, um, you see it in the film, like you're in, we're in her head the whole time. Like this is like the one film that was really interesting to write because it was like, so you're just in her head the whole time. And, um, you know, one of the elements of the film, the horror elements of the film is like how she's hallucinating and how she's seeing things. And, you know, it's hard to really see if it's actually like a haunting. Cause like the film is, she feels like she's being haunted by, her past self, like her soul is haunting her. Um, and her soul wants her gone and doesn't believe she's real. She believes she's like an imposter person, which I guess goes back to the imposter syndrome thing. It's like so fascinating to like really, really dig in and like see how how that all ties in. Um, 
but yeah, like it's just like how she's constantly getting flashbacks of her life and like the things that she sees, like is, she's ac- is she actually seeing them or is it like, is it her soul haunting her? So, um, so yeah, I think that like in a, in a big like uh, umbrella way, it's like you can kind of see how obsession uh, kind of plays uh, into the way she thinks and the way she, she acts in the film. Yeah. Was that a conscious decision to make us feel that obsession? I don't think it was a conscious decision to make the viewer uh, feel the obsession. I think what I really wanted the film to feel like is just a film about, I really just wanted people to feel a lot, if that makes sense, when watching this movie, which I hope um I hope that that's the reaction that I, I people get because it's like one of those like films that's like you're just experiencing it with the the protagonist um, and you I just yeah I think it, mo- mostly I just wanted it to feel like we are in her head and we're just feeling it with her feeling the grief with her feeling the horror and the and the like just the paranoia of like oh like am i not supposed to be here and how that manifested into her hallucinating her soul self or her past self haunting her so yeah i think that was more conscious but not like not not the obsession part i don't think can you talk to us a bit about the dystopian theme in this film which i think is a bit of a we can deviate away from just like some of the dark, some of the deeper topics, but just this theme of like a dystopian society, how did that come to be? And where did you, how did you decide that you wanted that element to be in this film? Um, I think that, I mean, it's, it just started, you know, I think it was like one little idea and then it just kept growing and growing and growing, which was really cool. Um, the, you know, the idea of a zombie, right? Like that immediately you get zombie apocalypse, visual in your head um and i'm sure there are films like this that do exist but like i don't i've never seen a film about like after the zombie apocalypse like what happens after like what happens after they're like recovering from it you know uh they they probably do they they have them the walking dead probably i don't know i i stopped that show like after the second season but um but i was really fascinated to like kind of delve into the world of like the people that were being cured. And so I think that, um, and I think that it was also just like how life was right now of like, you know, after the pandemic, we saw how life changed so quickly. So I think, um, I think it just kind of piqued my interest to be like, let me write a world that's just like, you know, like recovering from a, from a disease, from a sickness, which we are in that right now. Um, you know, so that is so interesting. I, I, didn't, I didn't even put that together. Yeah. There's also something to be said about how I think anybody can see, without all this context that you're giving right now of where this film came from emotionally and everything, there's still something that is there for everybody in terms of just what happens when you realize that you kind of come to and you realize that you've made a mistake, you realize the errors of your ways and like you realize how you've hurt somebody. What can you then do or what are the emotions that you then go through and I think that's that's really that's really fascinating and it it really you really feel that when you're watching the film like I, I don't think we need to think about this as a response to COVID or even a dystopian world at all I think anybody can see like this is guilt man this is guilt I think it's fascinating that you you mentioned that like you it's not like just about like the COVID thing which I didn't want this to feel like oh this is like a COVID movie or like a commentary on quarantine well I guess in in a way it is because like she is in self-isolation but I didn't want it to feel like oh this is like a commentary on COVID um so right it's just kind of where it came from for you exactly exactly so right yeah that makes sense I think that one of the things that I was that I was I took notice of was I grappled with this notion of like, do I feel bad for her or do I like, like, how do I feel? Mm, That was like really big for me. And I think that's probably one of the emotions that was pulled out of me the most because I, I connected with the grief. I connected with the guilt, but outside of that, I just was like, what do I even feel for her? And it was like, because it's a short film, we don't have the time to really like dig in and be like, is this person, you know, 
worthy, right? Like it's so, it's interesting that like you, you mentioned like imposter syndrome, like I felt her imposter syndrome, but then I didn't know how I felt about her. And I would love for you to like, just shed some more like light on that. And like yeah. what you were trying to like get out of the audiences. I think that I really liked how, um, how it was a conflict of, uh, of you being like, do I, do I, am I rooting for her? Do I feel bad for her? Like, you know, like how much sympathy or empathy can you feel for her? And I think that like, for me personally, right, like, because I wrote this from such like a a personal place, I felt a lot of empathy for her because it's like she is dealing with this guilt. Uh, But then I think, um, I think that like, she was like a monster before this, right, that did this horrible thing and lost everything. Um, And then I think, having that conversation in the middle of the film, her friend comes over, Martha, and the two of them have a conversation. And you just see like how much Saudia has her walls up as she's like uh, communicating with an old friend, right? And Martha doesn't look at Saudia like she's a monster. I think Martha looks at her and feels a lot of pity for her and does feel a lot of sympathy for her. And Saudia is just like not taking it. She doesn't want to accept that whatever it is that Martha is like trying to like give to her, because I don't think Martha does a great job of also um, trying like helping Sadia as well. It's like Martha is a friend that's trying to show her sympathy, but then also is like trying to like give her solutions to be like, Oh, like I think the worst thing is when someone is like feeling down and then someone's like coming in and be like, well, have you tried this? Have you tried to do this? Have you tried to do this? Like, it's so annoying. And it's like, I get it. Like that other person is coming from a good place. Cause they, they want to see you get better. They want to help you. But in that moment, like a friend should be there for you just to listen to you and to like be there and like empathize with you. And so like, yeah, I think like Martha telling her to her face, like, you don't deserve this kind of life. You never deserve this. Like what you did, like none of it was your fault. Like it was not in your control. And like, I think uh, Sadia just can't, couldn't take that. Um, and partially because she doesn't believe that she uh, doesn't deserve it. And also because Martha wasn't the best at um at giving her that sort of comfort that like she thought she was giving to Sadia. That's awesome. Yeah. I I think that's, that's one of the biggest things. Do you think future Sadia eventually can forgive herself and maybe accept what Martha is trying to do for her? I think that was kind of one of the, again, it's a short, so it's really hard to make it like super well-rounded. So I really tried as much as I could to have some sort of end to the arc of Sadia at the end. I didn't want it to just be like this hopeless ending. Uh, so to say this as ambiguously as possible without um, without spoiling the end, um, I think, so, you know, I don't know. So like the end is like she in a way confronts herself she has to kind of confront herself and she has this conversation of like, you know, this is what I did. Will you ever forgive me? Right. Like she asks the soul, like, will you forgive me? And, um, and basically like the, you know, I don't, I don't know how much I should say of this. Like, I don't know how to like eloquently answer this without like spoiling it, you know, uh, without maybe just like saying spoiler alert. So if you're listening and you haven't watched this, you can maybe like skip ahead a couple of seconds, <laughs> but like, so basically like she does confront herself at the very end and her soul self is about to kill her with a knife. Like she's holding a knife to her because she is going to attack her. And, um, and then decides she's not going to, she doesn't kill her, right? Like she doesn't strike the knife. She just like lets go of the knife and she lets it go. And you just kind of see her grieving then and she lets it go. So I think that that was a way of kind of portraying that like the entire time, the entire film, we're seeing this soul Sadia, this like her soul haunting her and like kind of getting in her head and like making her feel miserable. But then at the very end is gone and doesn't, hurt her and so I think that was my way of like showing that that was how the story arc kind of comes full circle that like when she does finally confront herself and asks like will you forgive me it's like will I forgive myself so to answer your question it's pretty much just like 
I think at that point, maybe she, she would have, she could have at that point, you know? Um, but yeah. And so this is still spoilery, but like she turns into like a zombie again at the end. So there was no chance for her to, to do that. But if she did survive, I, I, I'm optimistic that she would have been able to pick herself back up again. Yeah. Were there any other themes that you were motivated by? Or are the other um, things that may have happened in your life? That happened in my life? No. So I think that, like, mm-hmm. it's interesting because it's, like, the character is very different from me, but also very similar to me in many ways. Um, but obviously, you know, I didn't have a son or like a you know, family and things like that. So she was in a very different place in her life where in like personally, but like, I think um, she's an artist in the film. Like we see that we see her working on her art throughout the, the entire film. And I think I took that as like how I treat my art a little bit. And um, we see her working on it. We see kind of like these like really half-ass paintings on her like in her workshop (laughs) and then we see her sketching just like crazy stuff Uh, you can really tell like she hasn't really found her inspiration um and she's trying to um and I think that was like I think that's like probably the most personal to me where it was like when I was in a really dark place last year I just kept trying to turn to my art I kept trying to work on things I kept trying to find inspiration and there were a lot of times where I couldn't I wasn't able to I, art wasn't there to like help me even though I was trying for it to help me get to a better place um there were times where it wasn't great so I think like I think that like where she's just like, just like, like totally just like trying to like make it work. Um, and then isn't, I think that was probably the way I related to the most of like turning to art to make you feel better and how sometimes that doesn't help either, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So are there any lessons that you want the audience to take away from this? I don't think there's any lessons. Um, I honestly like, yeah, like I feel like I, I don't really believe in the um, in the notion of like you should watch something and like learn something from it. I think that it it's just yeah. an experience and it's something that you can kind of look at and be like, hey, like this is uh, this is an experience and you learn. That's literally it. But it's not like a lesson of like, oh, now I know blah, 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 blah. So I don't think I ever... Um, I've never, I've never written from that place of like, oh, I want to teach people about whatever. Like, uh, yeah, um, yeah, it definitely felt more like a let me sit and think about this type of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I like um, this is a total joke, but like my second short film, which was about ghosting, uh, I was like, well, I guess you're gonna learn never to ghost anyone again because you will (laughs) get literally get ghosted. Um, so no, that's a total joke. But no, I, I definitely, um, I don't write from that point of view of like, what do I want to teach the audience, you know? So let's take a quick break from our episode. If you've listened this far, that means you probably like what you're listening to. So why not leave us a rating or a review, hopefully something nice on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and tell all your friends about the show because you probably don't know this, but the Desi Condition is 100% run by people who do this as a side hobby. I myself, the founder, am a high school math teacher and a graduate student and everyone involved either goes to school or works full time. All of this to say that TDC thrives on word of mouth only and doesn't make any money. And we're not trying to make money. We just want to spread the good word about mental health and wellness. So please take a moment to text your friends about this podcast or leave a rating to support the show. Let's go back to our regular content. I know that a lot of your content for this one and the other two films that you made are all very horror based. And I know that also you grew up in a Christian home and you grew up in the church a lot. So uh, I guess I'm wondering how how your whole career arc is received by members of your community or maybe your family, if you're okay with talking about that. Yeah, of course. Um, Yeah, like my parents are super cool with me. Um, making films. 
um, they're like, you know, when I tell them about it, they're like, oh, that's very cool. Like, you know, it's just like a, you know, that's just like a parent child relationship. Um, but they are like, they've told me that they're proud of me. Um, but it's just like, yeah. Uh, but in the sense of like the content being horror related, um, I don't, my dad, I think in particular is not super happy about that, which is understandable because, you know, um, growing up in, in a, like a pretty, pretty, like not super strict Christian, I I would say it was pretty strict, like, but like, yeah, like I think that it just kind of took away from everything that like, you know, my parents knew and especially dealing with the occult stuff, like, um, that's just like, especially in the Christian community, a definite no, no, you know? So, um, so yeah, I think my dad is not the happiest about it, but he's not going to tell me like not to do it. He'll just kind of voice his concern. Um, but I think with this film, this might be a film he can stomach a little bit better. Like he had a hard time with, he comes from a good family and not a hard time. I think he just like was a little like, a little concerned when he watched that one. Um, he didn't see Ghost Me, uh, but this one I think he might be able to stomach because it's more sci-fi, I guess, and more of a drama than the, than the horror elements, you know? Mm. I think just like stuff with demons and cults and ghosts and stuff, that really freaks him out. So um, so that's just my parents. And my mom is cool. My mom's cool with it as well. Um, she hasn't ever said like, oh, you shouldn't make horror stuff. But um, it's more of like what what they're not saying you can kind of read between the lines of how they feel about it um but like in terms of like the rest of the community um i'm not part of like a super like i'm not super like like in a community like in a church community right now um i i go to church every so often but i'm not like i don't have a ton of church friends anymore and things like that so i don't really have a community of people that I can kind of get that feedback from and kind of like be like, oh, this is like, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. Maybe like 10 years ago, I would have gotten more feedback on it because my entire world was like my church. I remember like all of my friends were in the church and everything. So, um, but not anymore. So, yeah. So, yeah. So the only feedback I get is like, it's my parents. So I want to know why horror and, uh, what do you think is the future of South Asian horror? Yeah, so I've, I've always loved horror. Horror's like been my fave, like ever since I was really young. I was always really scared of watching them. Like I was like, um, it wasn't like I just like, I don't get scared when watching films. And I feel like I was a big scaredy cat when it came to movies when I was little. Like, I, yeah, I mean, I can tell you guys stuff like like after this, but like I would be scared. I was scared to go watch Titanic by myself because of the violence that apparently was in it. Um, yeah, it was like I was really like weird about violence in films more than like than like just like the scary factor. But I remember watching like a scene from The Exorcist um, and the girl's face was just like imprinted in my mind for like ever. And it was like in my nightmares all the time. Um, but yeah, I've always, I don't know, the genre always really resonated with me because like it is the one genre that you like really experience and you feel as you're watching it. Like um, comedy is very similar. I think that's why comedy and horror go hand in hand really well. Um, but yeah, I think that like watching Jordan Peele's film, Get Out, um, and then Hereditary by Ari Aster, um, you know, and one of my all-time favorite movies is Rosemary's Baby, um, as well as The Sixth Sense, um, and those movies are, like, the ones that are, like, the types of films that I really gravitate to, because it's, like, really, like, they're, they're terrifying, but then they tell, like, a deeper story that, that, that kind of stays with you um, in such a great way. Um, And I think The Sixth Sense does a really great job of that. Um, And I think that was one of the first like films that I watched that I was like, oh, this is like, I remember watching like a behind the scenes like clip of like M. Night Shyamalan talking about The Sixth Sense and how he used like the color red to like indicate when there was like a ghost nearby or a theme or something like that. And I was like, oh, this is like how movies are made. Like I didn't really even understand the concept of like how directors like make films and how like how they actually come up with it and make it. You know, I feel like your your little brain just just can't comprehend it when you're really young. Um and so that was the first time that I was like, wow, like 
this is like a real like thing. And so anyway, I think that like why horror? It's definitely because it's the one genre that you can tell a really effective story with that can really resonate with people. So, and it's just fun. I love scaring people. (laughs) Yeah, I still can't believe that Bruce Willis was dead. I'm still freaked out. Right? Every time. (laughs) Every time. I'm I'm watching Stranger Things right now, and even that's too much for me. That's like what, like, oh my God, Stranger Things season four is so good. But yeah, it's so good. Um, and so much more horror in that season. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, like with the sick with with the sixth sense, like that's like the one movie that I'm like, if I could go back and erase the memory of watching this film and experience it for the first time, I really would. I would love to. And the thing that was funny was that I always knew about the twist, so it was spoiled for me before I even saw the film. So I never got to experience it with the idea of like Bruce Willis was alive oh, no. uh, or dead. Um, but the cool thing is that you can watch it with somebody that hasn't experienced it, like doesn't know the spoiler. And so when you watch it with them and then you see their mind get blown, it's the best. So (laughs) you talk a little bit about your creative influences and motivations. Can you tell us a little bit more about like where you pull from? Where do you pull your inspiration from? Who are these key people? So I mentioned Jordan Peele earlier, um, I think like Jordan Peele was like the inception of me, like wanting to really go for it. Um, Him and Ari Aster were two directors um, with films that came out like very like around the same time. It was Get Out and then it was Hereditary. Um, And with Get Out, like that really inspired my first film a lot because Get Out is more than just a horror film. It's a really great commentary on just our world right now with race and everything and told it in such like a great way in such an entertaining way. Um, and I just kind of sparked the idea for me where I was like, I like, I feel like this is a, such a smart way that he did this. Like I could probably do this when it comes to like, I, I mean, you can do it with any culture, but with the Indian culture and or the arranged marriage thing, I was like, this is like pretty much perfect. Um, And I know that Jordan Peele was really inspired by Rosemary's Baby, which is one of my favorite, all-time favorite films. And though you can kind of see the similarities in those two films. And so I think that was like a really big inspiration for like just the inception of he comes from a good family. And, um, And also seeing that like Jordan Peele was just a comedy guy before he was just the key and Peele guy. Um, and just, you know, I remember when I found out that he was making a film, I was like, this is going to be like really silly and just ridiculous. Um, but then turned out, he turned out to win like so many Oscars and things for that film. Um, and then Ari Aster on the other hand, which is very similar to like, you know, uh, him making a film about grief and loss. That's another film that tells a really great story about how you deal with grief and how that affects like your whole family. It's so dark, but then he throws in this like huge horror element. It's a a horror film, but makes it so much more, um, just so much more gut wrenching when it's centered around death in the family, you know? And I just, I've never seen a film that like affected me like that up until that point. And, um, and then when I looked into Ari Aster and I saw that he was just making like short films and this was his first feature film and he was so young, he was like 35 or something. And like, um, or maybe even younger than that. And like, I was like, I'm like, this is like, this is not, this is attainable. Like I could probably do this. Like you have like these guys that this was, these are like their first feature films that were so successful. And they were like, they weren't like huge directors that were making films forever. Like they were newcomers. So it kind of made the idea of being a director so much less um, intimidating for me. Um, so content wise, I love them. And then also just their personal journey wise was really inspiring to me. So, um, so I think that was like what, where I kind of drew from, from the beginning. Um, but right now I just, I really just love to watch, um, 
I just love to watch everything and not just horror, but just like any sort of films and just like uh, you can learn so much by watching all different types of films. So I just try to be a sponge as much as I can. Um, and, and then the idea just kind of comes to you and then you just have to keep building, you know? So it's really just about taking in everything that you can. And then when you're lucky enough, an idea sparks and then you're lucky enough to be like, I, I can probably make this, you know? So yeah, it's you. You're next. Next Oscar. Oh my god. Oh I'm my so god. Excited. <laughs> <laughs> and then when you blow up and become famous and your movies are Remember in all us. the theaters, they're gonna be like, I knew that girl. Oh, come <laughs> on now. I'll still be coming on this podcast, guys. Well, when your podcast becomes like super popular, please don't forget me. <laughs> <laughs> I wanna ask a couple more questions about your creative life though. Um what do you feel yeah. like is your greatest achievement so far? Um, hmm. I think my greatest achievement um, is pretty much just, I feel like I, I feel like I had a really great answer for this earlier this week when I was talking to Anu. Um, so I'm going to try to like, remember like exactly like, yes, now I got it. Um, but I mean, basically like just, and I don't want to like have it be super general, but I think just me, uh, starting my film career, I think I'm the most proud of that accomplishment. You know, I think kind of diving in immediately into directing when I didn't have any sort of directing experience. Um, I think that I'm really proud of that where like I, I just did it. And now I've got like multiple projects that I've like, I'm proud to say I've worked on, you know, and that I can say that are my own and they're like my stories. And I think that it was, um, I think I'm, I'm more, I'm proud of, it's a, an accomplishment for me because before this I was working, like I was trying to be a, like a writer. I was trying to get like um, a manuscript published for like seven years. I think it was like seven years. Um, and I was, that was what I thought I wanted to do. I thought I wanted to be like a published author. I thought that's what I was gonna do and like I really did love doing it at the time and I started it when I was really young like the first like manuscript I wrote I was like 21 and I was like really like I was like I'm gonna do this like this is like my dream and it felt more attainable than like pursuing a career in film and um and I think that like I was like always so scared of being like if this book never gets published then my dream I didn't accomplish my dream and I'm a failure of some kind um, when in reality I just kind of needed to go through that like um, those seven years of writing to kind of understand what it is that I wanted and um, and so yeah I think I'm really proud of the accomplishment of just making the decision of switching to film and um, and three years later, it's it's been three years since I've like really started with film. So I have a couple of follow up questions for you. So one about the manuscript that you uh, didn't end up getting published. How how did that process go? Like you deciding to let go of it? What was happening there? Oh my gosh! Yeah, like so. This is a book that I started writing when I was, so I wrote like this other like little manuscript before that it was like 70,000 words. So that's like, I don't know how many, how many I, in, in the manuscript writing world, it's like, you just base it off of word count. Uh, so the first one was pretty short. It was like 70,000 words. And then this next one was a little bit longer and it was like the start of like a fantasy trilogy series that I was writing. And, um, it was like YA fantasy. So I really wanted to be like a YA author. <laughs> and I think it made sense because I was like young. I was close enough to like being in the YA age, you know? So I think that's like really what I wanted to do. And so like, um, yeah, I think that I, um, you know, I was like, let me just write this. And then if someone likes the pitch and the idea, I can get an agent and then I can get a publishing deal. It's like a whole thing. You need to get an agent before you get a publishing deal. And I was going around to different writers conferences and pitching my book and um, meeting people. I had, I had many people that were interested in it, but then ultimately said no to it. So I got so many no's. I had so many moments of like 
having some hope of like somebody being like, oh yeah, Anisha, we're going to take your book. And I was always like, oh my God, I'm going to make it one day, I promise. And then that, that moment never came for me with writing. Um, and then it got to a point where I was trying so hard. And this was like a one, this was a, I think this was like 2017. I went to a writer's conference in Chicago and I was like, I met with three agents, like back to back to back. And the thing with the publishing world is that it changes so much. So agents are constantly like changing what they're looking for. So when I started writing this book, everybody was super like excited about it at first. Um, Cause every, that was like the age of YA. Um, this is like 2012, 2013. Everyone was looking for like the next Hunger Games or like Divergent or, you know, and my story was very like, had all of those elements. It was a very like Hunger Gamesy type of feel to it. And, um, and I remember I had a lot of bites for agents then. And then it just kept kind of slowing down as the years went on because then the draw kind of changed a little bit. So by the time it was 2017, um, I like was meeting with these agents and I just kept getting no to my face like three times in a row. I had that like one afternoon where it was like one agent was just like, yeah, no, this is like, this is not my style. Like, and I was like, well, your, your, your style said that you were looking for this, this, and this, because they give you a list of like what each agent is looking for. And they're like, yeah, no, like, I'm not feeling it, which is fine. They don't like, you know, that's just like how it works. Um, and then the next one was also just like, it's a good idea, but not for me. And I'm like, okay, cool. And then the last one was just like this, like, oh my God, this businessman that was just like, okay. Like he kind of was like, he I think he was like low key judging me. And he was just like, how old are you? And I was like, um, I don't really know how that's oh my relevant. God. Yeah. Like he kind of just looked at me, like not taking me serious kind of way, you know? And I think at that point I was already really frazzled. So I was like, not speaking as clearly or well or confidently. So I seemed a little maybe like not like as confident. I said like a lot when I was talking and he, I just immediately knew from his body language, like I'm like, this is a no. And I think that was kind of like what kind of that nail on the head was for me. And I was like, Oh wow, this is like really awful. And I, I remember I didn't even stay for the rest of the conference. I like left the conference, ran out, went to this random bar and was just bawling in the bathroom. I was just crying my eyes out like silently in the bathroom. And then I just was like, I'm like, I can't do this. I, I'm like, I don't know how much longer I can do this. Like, I, I really can't anymore. This is like too hard. And I think that was the beginning of me being like, maybe this isn't the like what I'm supposed to be doing. And you have the thoughts of like, hey, like maybe I should try to keep keep at it. And this is just part of the process. Like people are going to say no. But then I was like, am I even really happy doing this anymore? Um, but because I was doing it for so long, I kept at it for another two years. And then in 2019, at the beginning of 2019, I was like, I'm going to be turning 30 at the end of this year. And what is, I'm like, I'm not happy doing this anymore. Like, what is something that I've always wanted to do and that I haven't done yet? And the most glaring answer was film. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to start this. I don't know what what's going to happen, how I'm going to do this. But that was like after I had seen Get Out and Hereditary. So I already felt like this, this like feeling of like, maybe I can do this. Um, and I just start, I talked to this one guy. His name is Mike Castro. And he works on horror short films at Squarespace. Like that's where I work. And so uh, I was like, can I like pick your brain a little bit and like maybe like learn about how you make films and your your journey so far. And so he just like pretty much encouraged me to go for it. He was like, just do it. Just make a film. Just like produce it, hire a team, write a script and just shoot it. And so that's basically what I did. And then as I, and that was for, he comes from a good family. And so like before that, I directed a music video for my sister, who's a singer songwriter. So I got a little bit of directing experience, like from like a small group of, it was like a small set. It's like five of us or so. Um, and then I went into directing my first short film, which was like the most intimidating thing ever. Um, but and then I just kind of kept going from there. And I think the, as I kept doing it, the more I kept learning, the more I kept researching how things worked and things like that. And then um, and yeah, sorry, I feel like it kind of went totally off the rails of what your original question was. But yeah, I think that kind of was 
what what it was with my publishing career and like why it didn't work out and then like why I kind of just switched over to film. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, you pivoted and you found another dream that works for you. Yeah, it's working so far, I think. <laughs> um, okay, so can you idea? You don't have to respect this idea at all. Can you turn your book into a film? I was thinking the same thing. I was literally <laughs> thinking the same thing. We're so curious. We were talking about you before the episode. We were like, I wonder what the book was about. I really want to read it. Oh my God, guys. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, it's a pretty big, like, it's like an epic kind of adventure type of story, you know? Um, so maybe down the road at some point, it could be something. But I don't I don't know. I really don't. It's, um, you know, I think... I feel like I stopped relating to the character as much because I just got older and um, I felt like I didn't have that same sort of excitement for it anymore. So I think that like working on it for so long, I think it just kind of got a little stale for me and I don't connect with it as much. So I don't think I, I would feel passionately enough to like go through the trouble of making it into a film, if that makes sense, you know? Fair enough. Um, Got it. But okay, well, that a great thing that, that happened was, like, my production... Com- I have, like, a production company. It's literally just me right now. Um, but, like, I produce just from my... I am, like, my own sole producer. But um, my company is called Vehem Films. And the word Vehem is actually a term that was from one of my books. So I was like, I feel like this is like a nice little tie-in. So I kind of took that and put that in there. Um, and it's kind of like Vehem is like a type of race. So like the world that the main character lived in, like was differentiated by different races, like magical races that each had different abilities. And so the Vehem race was the race that had a lot of strength and courage. Um, and they were like the warriors and everyone wanted to be like them. So I, um, I just felt like that was like a really appropriate thing to kind of like carry into, into the next phase of my creative journey, I guess. So that's what I'm taking away from it so far. Just a title. <laughs> okay. In your ideal creative professional world, and when I say ideal, I don't mean like things are just kind of handed to you, like you still have to work for things, but in your ideal world where you're still working earnestly and doing your thing, what are the supports that you would have? Or maybe um, you already have them. So you can tell us support what that's Support like. as in like, like just like uh, supporting my filmmaking journey, like making the films themselves? In or? your filmmaking journey. Yeah, it can be anything. It can be like financial, like emotional, like whatever you think of. Whatever you feel like you need. What is that ideal scenario for you? I think I would really love to work with, you know, I I would really just start off with wanting the experience of working with other producer producers other than myself. I think I, it's a lot to wear so many hats when making films, you know, like my first two, I, you know, wrote, directed, produced and edited my most recent one. I did not edit. So I did have help there. But I think working with an editor kind of is a whole other different kind of challenge. Uh, But there's a reason why directors shouldn't edit their own work, I think. Uh, And I I, I think I I really like editing. And I think I I am happy with the editing job that I did with the first two films. But um, so I think I've been like trying to like delegate a little bit more. And I really would love to work with producers that would really be by my side, like, supporting like my my creative vision for whatever this the idea is and they can give me their ideas and we can kind of bounce off of each other and and all of that responsibility won't just fall on me and so then I can focus more on like directing and doing like you know a good job like being a director I think I really love being a director but it can really weigh you down if you don't have like a team behind you that's like you know um so yeah I think I think I think I can only think that far ahead right now and be like, I would really just want to work with um, just work with more producers or just one other producer. Just start there. Yeah. Okay. So anyone listening, if you're a producer, find Anisha. Yeah. Find me, please reach out. I need you. (laughs) (laughs) I think we covered it. Yeah. I feel like I learned a lot today. Yeah. This was so fun. Oh my goodness. You're so eloquent. 
you're just able to like, yeah, the way, the way that you're able to just speak about your work is, is just, it's so natural and effortless. And the passion is very apparent. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Thanks. I feel Mm -hmm. like uh, sometimes it can get a little tricky when I uh, talk about the film, because I feel like sometimes I don't do it justice of like when I'm speaking specifically about the film and I never want to take away from whatever someone else experiences when watching it. So I'm just like, oh man, like, I don't know if I'm doing a good enough job of like showing you like what it is that I was like trying to, to like convey. Uh, so it, it can get a little tricky when directors talk about their work, but uh, this was a really good conversation and facilitated really well by you guys. So, um, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yes, you. Thank you for being on the show. So we also have an interview that we did for the Desi Collaborative, which is the kind of counterpart to the Desi Condition, where we really try to foster connection between artists specifically. So we have a directory in which artists, creative professionals can submit themselves and then people People can find them, find out how to support them, find out how to work with them. So you can visit us at desicollaborative.co. Anisha's interview will be there where Anu uh, interviewed her about her creative process and then her inspirations and just more of what, more detail on what we just talked about in this episode. Anisha, how do we find you? Um, you can just find me my at my handle. Um, I'm on Instagram, Anisha Savan. Um, you can also find a like, like just a link to all of my work, um, like a portfolio of my my films and stuff on my website, which is anishasavan.com. And then my film has a separate Instagram, which is at neveralive underscore film. So you can follow along with like feature screenings and things like that. So amazing. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. This was a blast. That is the end of our episode, Bondus. We hope you enjoyed this. And thank you so much for joining us on this journey. If you'd like to reach out to us, we can be found on Instagram and Facebook at The Desi Condition and on Twitter at TDC Podcast underscore. You can also email us at thedesicondition at gmail.com or visit our two websites, tdcpodcast.com and of course our Desi Creatives directory at desicollaborative.co. Stay safe, stay warm, make good choices, and we'll talk to you next time.